listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. We have been in this series for the last several weeks called Rooted, Deep Roots, Good Fruit. And we've been, throughout the course of this series, going through different things that we believe are essential to a healthy faith, a healthy walk with Jesus. And we've, we've seen that these things should be like roots of a tree. That's what we're trying to get at. Roots of a tree that drive deep. And they give us a firm foundation, a, a way to be rooted in our faith walk with Jesus. And we've covered lots of little thing, uh, different things. We've talked about the importance of reading the text. We've talked about prayer. We've talked about uh, worship and repentance how important community is to be rooted in community. We talked about forgiveness, stewardship. And last week we talked about generosity. And all those sermons are online if you want to catch up on them. But today, as we continue uh, our series, you know, one of the things that you need to keep in mind is that we are definitely not presenting an exhaustive list of the roots that you should have in your walk with God. Like we are hitting some high ones that we enjoy, that we think are important. And one of those is the one that we're going to talk about today, which is testimony. Now, when you think about testimony, when I think about it, I think about how powerful and influential and inspirational testimonies can be. And I think about all the different testimonies that I've had the privilege of listening to over the course of my life, and there's been a lot. And I've always been impressed by them. And when we think about these testimonies, they're all around us. There's one that I want to share with you right now that just happened in our community, in this church, just this year. Many of you may not know, but our Moscow Police Department got the opportunity to add a new officer this year, a canine unit named Ragnar. And this officer has been in the works for a long time. The police department has been working diligently to try to add this police dog to their force for years because they've known that they needed to add this resource of a drug-sniffing dog. And there was a lot of things that came into play that helped spur this on and make this come come to fruition as they sought the resources and and the budget to do it. One of the things that not many people know about happened right here. You see, the the leadership of the police department came to our church leadership in the course of this whole thing, and they asked us, hey, would there possibly be anybody in your body, in your church family, that would be willing to write out a testimony and share the devastation and destruction that they have experienced in their life because of drugs? And we had almost 20 people decide to do that. 20 people that had the courage to share and write out their stories of the devastation and destruction that drugs had had in their lives in the hopes that their testimony would help spur on their community, help other people potentially avoid the same devastation and destruction. Testimonies, these testimonies of all these people were evidence 
They presented evidence to the community that we needed this resource. We needed this dog to help keep our community safe. And that's really what a testimony is. You know, a testimony is evidence in support of a fact or a statement. And I want you guys to keep that definition in mind as we talk today about testimony. Because these stories of how all these, this story of how all these testimonies came together to help change our entire community in this battle against drugs that we have here really reminded me of another story. Another story of someone's testimony who changed their entire community. And I want to take us to that story. It's a story that's found in the text. It's found in the Gospel of John. And we're going to spend some time looking at this encounter that this person has with Jesus and how it changed their life forever. Why did it change their life? What was her testimony after this? So we're going to be in John chapter 4. And as you guys are moving over there in your Bibles or going to your Bible apps to John chapter 4, let me catch you up real quick on what's going on in the story so far in the previous chapters. I'm going to throw up a map for you just so you can see where we are in the country of Israel, where this is all taking place. So previous to John 4, we see Jesus and his disciples, and they're down in the city of Jerusalem. And they had gone down to Jerusalem to be able to celebrate Passover. And while they're there, we get to see some really fascinating, fascinating interactions that Jesus has with people in the city of Jerusalem. One of them took place on the Temple Mount. Another one took place in the dead of night with a prominent Pharisee. If you don't know what I'm talking about, take some time later today and read John chapters 2 and 3, and you'll see what I'm talking about. But after they're there in the city for a little while, they, they go outside the city and minister for a little bit, and then Jesus decides it's time to head home. Home back to the Galilee region. And so they head north. Now, instead of going the way that most Jews would go, which is down up through alongside the Jordan River, Jesus takes them through Samaria, a region that most self-respecting Jews try to avoid. And we see Jesus and his disciples going through Samaria, and they approach this city of Sychar, and they arrive here about noon one day, and it's hot, and they're tired, and Jesus decides he's going to sit down by Jacob's well and take a breather. While he's sitting there, his disciples decide they're going to go into town to grab some food. And that's where I want us to jump into the text. We're at verse number seven here, as Jesus is sitting beside the well. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and... I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. I always appreciate John's little commentaries there to let us know what's going on. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, 
you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The stage is being set for an epic testimony to take place. Once again, we see Jesus going and doing things that most Jewish rabbis wouldn't do. Breaking through cultural norms to engage with people. There he is in Samaria, speaking with a Samaritan, and not just any Samaritan, a Samaritan woman. And this is a time and place where women did not have a lot of value. Which is why this woman is super surprised that Jesus is even willing to talk with her, let alone ask her for assistance. He's sitting there choosing to engage with her. And she has a choice. Will she do the same? Will she choose to engage with Jesus or will she go away? Will she just get her water and go away because this crazy Jewish guy is wanting to have a conversation with her? But she decides to stay. And she begins this conversation with Jesus. And who she initially sees as a thirsty Jewish man at this well begins to change as she spends more time with him. But she's still missing the depth with which Jesus is wanting to drive their conversation. She didn't understand what he was talking about when he told her that he would give her water if she had only asked. And she's like, what are you talking about? How are you supposed to draw water? You have nothing to get water with. And this well is super deep. Who do you think you are? Do you think you're greater than our father Jacob who dug the well himself and drank from it and fed his flocks from this well? Jesus is not going to be deterred by this. And he keeps pressing. And he keeps engaging with her. And he's like, you know what? Anybody who drinks from this well, they're going to be thirsty. They will be thirsty. But anybody who drinks the water that I offer will never thirst again. Not only that, they will be like springs of water flowing out of them, bringing eternal life. And this is very exciting for this woman. Not because she is understanding what he's saying, because her response is, I want some of that water. I don't want to be thirsty anymore. I don't want to come to this well and get water every day anymore. She was still missing what it was he was offering her, which I think sometimes we do the same thing. When Jesus is offering us something, it flies right over our head and we don't catch what he's trying to do. And so he does with her what he does with us often is he drops a hammer to get our attention. And as we continue reading in there in verse number 17 or 16, Jesus says this, go call your husband and come back. And she's like, I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. 
The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. The more time that she spends with Jesus, the longer this engagement goes on, the more she gets to see who he truly is. And he's more than what she initially thought. And now seeing that he is no ordinary man, and that he is actually wanting to engage with her in this deep spiritual theological conversation, she engages as well. And she asks him a question that I'm sure was on the tip of her tongue. A question that had been in debate between the Jews and the Samaritans for a very long time, which was, where, where's the right place to worship God? Where should we worship God? Is it where you Jews say we should worship God, or is it where we Samaritans say we should worship God? And I'm sure she was expecting that Jesus would answer like this, that he would say, oh, you go to Jerusalem. That's where the temple is. That's where God is. That's where you go. But he didn't. He didn't say that. Instead, he said, you know what? Actually, neither. He said, the time has come where true worshipers of God will worship in spirit and truth, and it doesn't matter where they are. And I think she is completely confused here. Because her response is, okay, I guess, you know, when Messiah comes, he's, he'll tell us everything and explain all those things. I, I don't know what you're saying. And Jesus looks at her and says, that's me. I am the Messiah. And this is the end of their interaction, that, at least the part that we have, their one-on-one interaction, at least. Because as Jesus is saying that, his disciples show back up with the food. But the really cool thing here is that this interaction spurs this woman on to have to share what just happened. She has this need and desire to go back into town and tell everyone about what just occurred to her. And we read about it as we keep going through the text. And we go back and we go down to uh, verse 27. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But they, no one asked, what do you want? Or... Why are you talking to her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Now skipping down to verse 39, it continues, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him, Because of the woman's testimony, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he he stayed two days. 
And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we, believe, we have heard ourselves. And we now know that this man really is the savior of the world. Because of her testimony, many lives were changed that day and the days to follow. Why? Why was this woman's testimony so powerful? And we have such a a short bit of it. What made her story special? Was it her? Was it her story? Like, we don't know a lot about her, right? There's not a lot in the text about who this Samaritan woman is. We don't even have a name. And there's been a lot of discussion about who she is and what her background is for a very long time. And scholars have looked at the historical and cultural context and what the text says, and they've tried to discern who this woman might be and what her background might be. And for a long time, the tradition has been to look at her and say, well, because she is going to this well in the middle of the day, and she's all by herself, instead of going in the morning where ev- when everybody else did, that must mean that you know, she's probably an outsider in her community, a pariah. Which you're like, okay, that's a bit of a jump. But when you take into consideration that she also tells Jesus as they're talking, I have no husband. And he's like, that's right, because you've had five. And the assumption there is that she's had five husbands because she's probably been divorced five times. And the guy she's living with now is not even her husband. Just more evidence that this woman probably had a past. That she had struggled to walk the path. That she probably was an outsider. That she probably had not a very great reputation in the community. But what if that wasn't her story? What if her story actually was one more of heartache and loss. I've been hearing some other scholars talk about this woman and they've been saying like, don't, let's stop reading into the text what's going on here. Let's ask some other questions. Let's throw out some other possibilities. Like what if this woman is going to the well at noon on a hot day because it's her second or third trip there and she's run out of water And maybe she's all alone because nobody else is out of water or nobody else could go with her. We don't have to instantly assume that she's an outsider. And maybe the fact that she's had five husbands doesn't have anything to do with her being divorced five times. Maybe she's been widowed five times. Because we know that in this culture, in this time period, that girls were married very young. And generally their husbands ended up being older than them. Maybe she just had the bad luck of marrying five old guys that died. And maybe the guy she's living with now is is not 
an intimate relationship, but maybe it's somebody who's a family member or a community member who's just trying to take care of her. Maybe she doesn't have a poor reputation at all. Maybe she's beloved in the community. Which one of these scenarios, which one of these backstories of who this woman is do you think holds the most weight? Which one has the most power and influence, do you think? Do you think if she was going to be inspired, if she inspired this entire city, so is it more inspirational that she was a a morally questionable woman with a, a poor, uh, a, a difficult past and poor reputation in the community? Or is it more impactful that she was somebody who had suffered loss most of her life and had this experience with Jesus and had a deep empathy in the community for her? Which one holds the most weight? Which one is the better testimony? If there are some of you out there like me, you might lean towards the story that she was a woman of irrepute, morally questionable. That's where I've been for most of my life. Because like I said, I've had the privilege and honor of hearing lots of people's testimonies over the course of my, my life in the church. And I can remember sitting in so many of those and hearing people's stories about how God intervened in their lives and completely changed them. And I'm like, wow, that is so amazing. I cannot believe this person came through that and is standing here today like they are. That is powerful. My story is stupid compared to that one. My story could never impact or inspire change like this one. Any of you in here fall into that trap of comparing your testimony to others? The change that God has done in your life to what he's done in other people's lives? Why do we do this? Why, why do we get into this comparison game? Why do we think that our story, our testimony, doesn't matter? Because I think that We've probably all done it at one point or time in our lives. And I think that one of the, the basis for that thought is that we don't think we're enough. We don't think that our story, regardless of where it started, where it, what it came through, is enough to inspire change. You know, maybe you, you've walked the path and you've walked it well, but... There's nothing good in that story of yours to inspire change for people. Your story's not good enough. Or maybe you have 
walked on the other side. You have lived a difficult life. You have had uh, victory over addiction. But you don't share your story because you don't think that you are good enough. Here's the truth. Your story, your testimony matters. Each and every one of us, no matter where we've been along the journey, it matters. And your story matters because it is a part of God's story. You see, our testimony is less about us and more about God. Our testimonies are our chances to share with people who God is, to give people the evidences of of his mercy and his grace, of his forgiveness and his love, and how those things bring about change. And it is these truths about who God is that actually gives our testimony the potential to inspire change in other people. It is these things about God who has been inspiring change since the beginning. We are the product of testimonies that have been going on for thousands of years. Testimonies of God's greatness. Testimony of God's love. And when we share our testimony of what God has done in our lives, we join that chain of testimonies that's been spanning those thousands of years. Giving evidence to the world of how great our God is. That our God is a God who pursues. That our God is a God who forgives and loves. That is why your testimony matters. This is why your testimony is a root of your faith. Because it is a testimony of God's greatness. Not ours. And when we can get to that point of realizing that, then sharing our testimony isn't so scary. Because we are sharing about God, not ourselves. And in the midst of us pointing people to God and and helping people see and experience who he is, there's some really cool things that God gives us the opportunity to experience ourselves and to see reasons why our testimony matters. And we saw a few of those reasons in this story of the Samaritan woman. As we look at how she was willing to share her story, she sought people out to tell them, I just met a guy who told me everything I've ever done and now I'm changed for life. I'm sure that the testimony was longer than that. But she was willing to open up her life and say, these things that have happened, my past, no longer have power over me. And when we are willing to share our testimonies, 
That's exactly what happens. When you share about God's goodness and his greatness in your life, you are telling the things that you have done, the things that have had power over you, you no longer have power over me. I am a new creation. God has made me new. When we share our testimonies, we also bring encouragement to those around us. We see as she interacted with her, her people from the city that that's exactly what she was doing. Showing people and encouraging people that Jesus is willing to engage with you anytime, any place, no matter who you are. And he's patient. He will work with you until you get it. And some of us, it takes longer than others. But how encouraging is it that Jesus continues to pursue and invite us into the change that he wants to do? Something else that I saw with this woman and her testimony is that it stood as a gap filler. You know, the people of the city said, hey, we no longer believe just because of what you told us, but we believe now because of what we have heard, what we have experienced. How many of us have had to depend on somebody else's testimony to make it through where we are in our lives? When we are in the middle of the storm and it doesn't seem like there's any way out and we hear somebody else testify of being brought through a similar storm by God, how encouraging is that to us in that moment? Your testimony has the power to do that because of who God is. And when you share his story through you, it also encourages you. Because you get to remember. You get to relive and re-celebrate what God had done in you. Your testimony is about God's goodness. Well, these are just a few of the things that I think, that, think of when I am wrestling through why does my story matter? Why would God want to use my story? But these are why, some of the reasons why our testimony is such a vital part of our faith walk, why it is a root of who we are. But we have to be willing and ready to give that testimony at any time. I love the way that Peter says it in his, one of his letters. In 1 Peter 3, he writes this. Verse 13, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against you 
or your good behavior in Christ may be shamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. Do you feel prepared? Do you feel ready? Do you know what the reasons are for the hope that you had? I want to encourage each one of us this week to take the time to write out your testimony. Take the time to sit down and think about what God has done in your life. And write it out. Give specific words to your story. But if you're unsure of what that looks like, because I know it is daunting and it is scary, let me give you a few pointers of what you should do as you prepare for this. All right, first off, make sure you're praying, right? You need to be seeking God and having him mold you and remind you of the things that he's done in your life. Focus on just one particular part of your story. Like this doesn't have to be your entire life story. We're just, you're, you're writing a testimony about how God intervened and changed who you are. So after you have come to that realization or you've come to the, the part where you determine what you want to write your testimony about, it should consist of three different parts. The first part is the part about the old you. Who were you before the change? What things did you struggle with? Be sure to be honest in this situation with yourself and with God. Like there is no comparison game here. This is just about what God has done in you and who you were before. And don't spend a lot of time here. Like this is not the point of the story. The point of the story is what God did in you and who you've become. And that's the second part. The second part is about the encounter and experiences that you had with God that brought about the change. What was it? What did God bring into your life to bring about that change? Did you go through a a class on Thursday night at Restoration Night? Did you find victory over codependency or addiction? Like, what did God do in your life? How did he bring about that change? And finally, the last part is about the new you. Who are you now? After God has intervened in your life and changed you to the core Who are you now? What does that relationship with him and with other people look like now? How are you continuing to move forward? And as you're putting this together, remember, like, you are always adding to the testimony. 
Like it's not a one and done thing. You are constantly adding to your testimony and the testimony of the church evidences of who God is. Our testimonies will not be complete until the day we die or he comes back for us. So we get the chance to continue to testify to the world and to our neighbors and to our families who our God is. And every time we give that testimony, it's like a prayer. It's like we're praying to God, God, do it again. The things that you did in me, the changes that you had through me, in me, do it again to the people that hear your story through me. We're going to take this time to move towards communion. A time that we get to celebrate another victory of God's together. If you're new with us today, we get the, pre- uh, the honor of doing this every week. You don't have to be a regular attender here or a member as long as you are a member of God's family and you have decided to follow Jesus and, and walk with him the best that you can. We'd love for you to celebrate with us. We have ushers in the aisle here. If you forgot to grab one of these elements, if you raise your hand, they'll bring one to you. You know, when you think about testimonies throughout the course of history, testimonies that are powerful and influential, stories of evidence, stories and evidences of God's love, there is none greater than the story that we get to remember by taking communion together every week. A story of God's love where he sent his son, his one and only son, to walk the earth, to show us what it looked like to walk the path well, to give of himself, to love God and love your neighbor. But it didn't stop there. His evidence and testimony continued as he gave his, entire, his life over and suffered and died on a cross and was raised again three days later and gave us victory over sin and death. That is the testimony that we remember each week when we do communion together. And it was on the night that he was betrayed by one of his close friends that he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body which will be broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us remember and celebrate his testimony of love. And after the meal, he took the cup. said, this is the cup of the new covenant, which is in my blood. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. Father, I just, uh, God, I want to thank you for who you are that you are a God who loves, that you are a God who forgives, who gives grace and mercy to us. God, thank you that you are a God who pursues us and is patient with us, slow to anger. God, thank you that you invite us into your story, that we get to be a part of what you are doing as you are putting the world back together, 
restoring all things back to you, its original design. God, I pray today as, as we all leave here today, Lord, that we will be confident in the fact that the story that you are telling through us matters and that we should share that story. We should not be ashamed of it. We should not be afraid of it because it is your story. God, give us all the courage and the boldness to testify, to share the evidences of who you are in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.